Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what's good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. How fitting that this past Friday, the first day of my 4th of July celebration, I was greeted with a special notice from our local government, the city of Snellville. It's Independence Day weekend, the 245th birthday of our country. And if ever I'm patriotic, this is the weekend. If ever I'm in a patriotic mood, this is the time. Despite our checkered history, I'm still proud to be an American. The United States is responsible for a lot of what's right in the world. That's why thousands of immigrants are lined up at our border wanting to get in. I understand our problems, but if there's ever the time to fly the flag and wear red, white, and blue, it's today. And so when I got my letter, I eagerly cracked open the envelope, thinking that I had received a thank you note from the city of Snellville, applauding its citizens for their community consciousness, their loyal support of the police, their timely paying of taxes. How nice that a local municipality would fuel the patriotism of its citizens on the 4th of July. As a matter of fact, the letter's return address read, School Zone Safety Program. And I thought, wow, how nice. Maybe the government officials are letting me know the various ways that we're teaching our school children to be safer. Oh, but that was not it at all. <laughs> that is not what was in this letter, not by a long shot. It was a notice of school speed violation. <laughs> And a payment voucher at the bottom for the amount of $80. And to rub my nose in it even further, (laughs) the city of Snellville had the audacity of including a photo of my truck on Pate Road in front of the middle school with a blow up of my tag, no less. As if I would try to deny my guilt without sufficient evidence. Of course, the first thing I did was go back and look at my calendar to see if Kathy was driving the car that day. (laughs) Sadly, she wasn't. I alone was responsible for this blunder. 
And to make matters worse, wouldn't you know it, since I was feeling a little under the weather this past Friday, instead of me going out to the mailbox and getting the mail, which I do 365 days a year, Kathy did that day, which means that she spotted the envelope. If I had gone to the mailbox, I could have perhaps kept this to myself. And so I began this year's 4th of July celebration, not only appreciating the blessings of living in America, but also the obligations. For citizenship is a responsibility. Understand, I am a Christian and I am an American. I've met Canadians, I've met Christians who were Canadians. I've met Christians from New Zealand. I've met Christians from Uganda. I've met Christians who were Italians. And as you would expect, these Christians love and support their country. I also care about the United States of America. If my allegiance to Jesus ever conflicts with my duty to America, there is no doubt I'll follow Jesus. But in the absence of a clear clash, I have a responsibility to both. I am a citizen of heaven and... I am a citizen on earth. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 21, Jesus made the most remarkable and influential political statement in all of human history. On that day in the temple, he held up a small silver coin, a Roman denarius, about the size of a dime. Engraved on it was the bust of the Caesar and the words, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. Jesus held up this denarius and he told the people in the crowd that day, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. You see, in the ancient world, coins were considered the property of the person whose image was on them. Therefore, Jesus is saying, if this coin belongs to Caesar, well, then give it back to him. But in addition, give to God what belongs to God. And what bears the image of God but man himself? For in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve. Male and female are made in his image. You, your life is made in his image and in his likeness. Thus Jesus was saying, though our money might belong to Caesar, our very lives belong to God. In amazing brevity and in conciseness, think of the far-reaching ramifications of Jesus' statement. First, he affirms God's sovereignty over human government. Caesar might make demands of our money, but God has a claim on the whole of our lives. Caesar rules in one area of life, but God governs our total existence. And yet Jesus' statement also affirms that human government does have a place in God's plan. For though God is superior to Caesar, civil government is still valid. There's a dual obligation that we have to both secular and sacred authorities. As Christians, we have a twofold responsibility. Yes, our lives belong to God, but we have a duty to country. We are bound to God and country. And 25 years after Jesus' groundbreaking statement, here in Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul is still chewing on its implications. 
Even the wording he uses sounds similar to Jesus. Verse 7, render therefore to all due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Romans 13 expands on Jesus' statement regarding a Christian's duty to God and country. Paul explains government's fundamentals, its function, and its funding. Here we find a primer on a Christian's civil citizenship. And I can think of no better time for us to tackle it than on July 4th, especially in the wake of my recent speeding violation. Today, I'd like to talk to you about a Christian's citizenship. Again, verse 1 tells us, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Here Paul establishes some fundamental principles concerning the authority and origin of human government. First and foremost, government is God's idea. Over the course of time, God has established three institutions and only three. The JCs and the Kiwanis and the Rotary and the Toastmasters and even the Booster Club are all fine institutions in which folks spend a lot of time and commitment. But none of these organizations are divinely inspired. They're all human inventions. There are only three divinely inspired institutions. In Genesis 2, God established marriage and the family. In Acts chapter 2, he birthed the church. And in Genesis chapter 9, God originated human government. When Noah exited the ark, God gave to humanity basic principles by which we should rule ourselves. See, before the universal flood that God used to purge this evil world, He had witnessed enough anarchy and enough chaos and enough unbridled evil to be convinced that mankind needed some form of self-rule to avoid another divine judgment. And so he instituted human government. Thus, Paul tells us in verse 1 to be subject to the governing authorities. The word subject is the Greek term hupotasso, which means to arrange under. Thus, as Christians... We shouldn't buck the powers that be, but to arrange our lives within the parameters our government allows. In short, we're to play by its rules. Of course, the miracle that is America is that our governing authorities are not just a man or a group of men, a dictator or a politburo, but a constitution and a set of laws. Laws that were established to protect not just the rights of those in charge, but everyone's rights. This is what has made America great. A constitution that limits the power of the people who occupy the positions of governing authority. For that we should be thankful. And yet Paul says that the governing authorities of all nations, whether that mean king or emperor, are appointed by God. You know, you thought you elected your governing authorities, and in a sense you do, but God is ultimately sovereign, 
God is behind the scenes pulling the strings. It's the Almighty who sets up and takes down administrations. And God has allowed the Hitlers and the Stalins, as well as the Obamas and the Trumps, to come to power for his reasons. We don't always see those purposes. But God is orchestrating the political stage according to his prophetic scenario and to accomplish his divine purposes. Today, we can see how the Jewish people would have never garnered world support and overcome global prejudice and gain UN approval to return to their homeland and establish the modern state of Israel without having endured the atrocities of the Holocaust. It was in the wake of Hitler's heinous crimes that at least for a brief moment, the world extended its sympathies to the Jews. God certainly holds Hitler responsible for his evil, but nevertheless, he used Hitler to accomplish his ultimate prophetic plans. God took evil and turned it into good. Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7 tell us, For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is judge. He puts down one and exalts another. Daniel 4, verse 17 declares the truth. The most high rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest of men. Amazingly, the most high God sometimes governs by the lowest of men. Three times here in Romans 13, Paul refers to the rulers of his day as God's minister. Literally, servant. That means that Joe Biden, Brian Kemp, Keisha Lance Bottoms are all God's servants. Politicians in office tend to forget this fact. But trust me, they'll find out soon enough. They have a boss in heaven. And whether they realize it or not, all public servants report to God. God has appointed presidents, governors, senators, representatives, mayors, commissioners, council people, the person that wrote this letter. And we respect them all as his ministers. Jeremiah called a ruthless and wicked Babylonian tyrant a man named Nebuchadnezzar, God called, called, Jeremiah called him God's servant, no less. If the prophet Jeremiah could do that, we can use the same term for either a Ted Cruz or a Chuck Schumer. God knows that human government is imperfect, but apparently even a flawed government is better than no government at all. See, we need to see the big picture. Democracy and even dictatorship are both better than chaos and anarchy. It's interesting that the darkest time in Israel's history is described in the last verse of the book of Judges. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's what you don't want. Surely the best form of government is a theocracy. This is where God himself literally is sitting on the throne. Oh, for the day. And the Bible predicts that one day the earth will be ruled by a theocracy. 
that Jesus will return to earth. He'll destroy those who defy him, and he'll establish his kingdom for a thousand years. But until then, any form of government is better than no government at all. Hey, recall who was on the throne in Rome when Paul wrote this letter to the Romans. I'd vote for anybody, maybe even Nick Saban, before I'd vote for Caesar Nero. If you know your history, you know that Nero was a nut. He set himself up as a god. He killed his wife and kid to consolidate his power. He threw Christians to the lions and burned them at the stake to light his parties. Nero set fire to the city of Rome just to watch it burn. If you think the guys up in Washington today are just fiddling around, Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Caesar Nero was a madman. Yet even though Nero was in power at the time, Paul still told the church in Rome to subject themselves to the civil authorities. For their rulers, even Nero, had been appointed by God. As Christians, we're to subject ourselves to the type of government that in our day and over our locale happens to be in power. In America, we're blessed to live under a constitutional and democratic republic, a government that requires citizen participation. That's why a Christian in America has the divine calling to be involved politically. You need to vote, perhaps run for office. Or serve in the military. Certainly you need to voice your opinion on positions. Contact your representatives. Sign petitions. Pray for your officials. March in the streets if necessary. For a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, for it to work, its people have to be involved. Now does this mean that we should allow politics to hijack the mission of the church? Certainly not. The church's primary focus is always to dispense grace and to preach the gospel. Guys, we, this church and all churches should be a heavenly entity with a spiritual agenda. It's been said, we should stay focused on fishing for men, not cleaning up the pond. Leave that to the government. It's a tragedy when a church becomes the arm of one political party, and it can happen on either side. I want people of all political persuasions to come to Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain and hear God's word. If we get identified with any one political party, we have hindered our mission. Our allegiance is to God alone. But the church should teach its members that part of Christian discipleship is to be a good citizen and to bring Christian values to bear in the public square. It's been said, evil prospers when good people do nothing. Christians can't allow ourselves to be canceled by those who oppose us. Let's use our right to speak out. Jesus intends for his followers to influence the culture. As salt flavors food, as light drives out darkness, we need to impact the world around us. All Christians need to be involved in government to the extent that we can. At the very least, you should vote. And not just vote, 
but you should vote for candidates who best support biblical values. That's not always easy to do, but you should. That's what your goal should be. Here are a few of the questions you should ask before any of the elections that we'll face in the upcoming few years. First, does the candidate support the right to life for unborn babies? This is important, if not preeminent. Second, does he or she uphold and protect the biblical definition of marriage? Crucial. Third, will the candidate's health care and economic policies help all Americans? We need to look out from the, for the poor. This is a biblical mandate. Fourth, will he or she pursue equal rights for all racial groups? This is important in the eyes of God. Does the candidate have the courage to stand up to America's enemies and stand by America's allies around the world? Here's another. Will he or she seek the fair and compassionate treatment of immigrants? This too is important to God. And then lastly, will this candidate uphold the law and support good policing? We'll talk about that in a moment. I realize what usually dominates the thinking of most voters is what's best for the health of my 401k. But we should all read Proverbs 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Friends, if we value at all God's blessing on our nation, then we need to prioritize those issues that matter most to him. Well, that's verses 1 and 2, the fundamentals of government. But notice verses 3 and 4, the function of government. He says, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. According to our text, government's function is twofold. To punish the criminal and to protect the community. Or said another way, the government's goal is to resist evil and reward good. This word rulers in verse 3 can also be translated law enforcement officials, police officers, cops. I like what prison reform advocate Chuck Colson once wrote. He said, after the fall, a second task was given to government, restraining evil. Public order must now be maintained through coercion. The angel who drove Adam and Eve out of the garden with flaming sword in hand was the first cop on the beat. In Romans 13, Paul says God has given the state the power of the sword to punish evildoers. Policemen are also God's ministers. Even the fellow who clocked me doing 43 in a 30-mile-per-hour zone. Did you hear about the police officer who was hired by a ritzy restaurant to enforce its dress code? A guy with his girl, they walked up to the front door wanting a table. He was wearing a nice suit, but he had no necktie. Well, the officer told him he'd need a necktie. The fellow got angry, started fuming. 
arguing. The officer held his ground. Well, the man, he goes back out to his car. He pulls out a set of jumper cables, wraps them around his neck, walks back into the restaurant and shouts at the officer, now I'm wearing a necktie. Is this good enough for you? That's when the officer warned him, yeah, but you better not start anything. (laughs) And you see, this is the job of government. Not only to make rules, but to quell rebellion and to enforce those rules. And it's a good thing. For man is sinful by nature. And without the use of force to bridle his rebellion, his lawlessness would run rampant. Jesus warned us of such. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, we're told that in the last days, lawlessness will abound. Isn't that happening in our world today? By all counts, violent crime is on the upswing. And it's the job of a well-funded police as God's minister to restrain evil and to protect our community. Now, certainly, there are some Barney Fife's out there. Some of you know who he is, some of you don't. But there are some Barneys out there, a few wannabe somebodies, That when you pin a badge on their chest, it goes to their heads. There are some cops just like that. And events over the last year have proven that putting on a police uniform doesn't clear that person's heart of racism. Bigoted people have no business being police. Part of the job is enforcing the law without prejudice. And if an officer cannot guarantee that, he should never have the job. One racist cop is one too many. And yet the statistics I've read say that the vast majority of police in America, even here in Gwinnett County, are good police who do their job without racial prejudice. Don't think for a second they can be replaced by crisis counselors or by community advocates. Police need to be funded and trained and equipped to do their job. But most importantly, they need our respect. Remember, the Bible calls the police God's minister to you for your good. That's why the next time a nice officer pulls you over for going too fast, you should let him know you appreciate him. He's God's minister on the job serving you. Thank you, officer. Treat him with that kind of respect, and who knows, he might just give you a warning. Or he might think you're drunk and give you a DUI. I don't know. (laughs) Either way, though, respect the police. Sadly, because of the actions of several bad police over the last year, our society has allowed the majority of our police force to suffer an incredible amount of disrespect. It's to the point where we can't find new officers. Blue flu is now a worse pandemic than COVID. I'm afraid we've believed too many half-truths. The vast majority of police are folks who want to serve their fellow man and make their world a safer and better place. Notice what Paul says in verse 3. He says, do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Well, then do what's good. Generally speaking, this is true. 
I mean, drive the speed limit and you shouldn't have to panic when you see a squad car. Just do the right thing and you'll have nothing to fear. Stay out of the wrong places at the wrong times and you won't have to worry a lot about the police. They're after the bad guys doing bad stuff. They're not after you. Generally speaking, this is true. Well, but not always. I once attended church in downtown Atlanta. And after service, a buddy and I, we came back to my car. We were just sitting in the front seat talking about what we learned about the Lord that night. When suddenly a police officer comes up from behind me, spins around and sticks the nose of his revolver right in my face, right under my nose. Told us to put our hands on the dashboard. Believe me, we did. I obeyed God's minister. Trust me, it was a case of mistaken identity. Someone had been in the parking lot breaking into cars right where we were sitting. And the cop, we had pulled in right above where the cop was sitting. And he thought that we were maybe part of the guilty party. And so after grilling us with a few questions, he decided we were in the clear and he apologized for the scare. But maybe you've been... You've had a scare or two with the police. A lot of people have. What the Bible says is true. Generally speaking, there are exceptions, but generally speaking, if you do what's right, you have nothing to fear from the cops. Yet verse 4 tells us, but if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Here we learn that God has given to the government and its enforcers the right to bear arms. In ancient Rome, the governors wore swords on their side. That sword was a symbol of their authority to punish by death. It's interesting in Genesis chapter 9, when God first establishes human government, the one explicit responsibility mentioned is the administration of capital punishment. God told Noah and his sons, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. Remember, humans are made in the image of God. Thus to destroy a person's life is to mar God's image. And in God's eyes, it's a penalty deserving of death. Capital punishment is not just a deterrent to murder. It upholds human dignity. That a man is not just another animal. That we are special and that we bear God's likeness. Take the life of an innocent person and you defile what's sacred. And God has made the ultimate punishment. and Prescribed the ultimate punishment to that sin. This is why a just war is often a necessity in a fallen world. For what police do on a local level, our military does on a global level. When evil people in the world plot genocide or oppress and kill innocent people, they need to be stopped, even if it takes killing them to stop them. I believe pacifism is not just a bad idea, it's a theological heresy. Pacifism assumes that all men are good at heart. If left on their own, they'll do what's right. But that's not biblical. The Bible teaches that humans are evil by nature. And if unopposed, we'll act selfishly. 
Human experience seems to prove that. It's a Christian's duty to confront evil with righteousness. To ignore the evil in the world is to allow it to flourish. This is why America needs a strong and ready military. Verse 4 tells us that government is an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Hey, this 4th of July, don't just cook out and set off fireworks, but pray for the men and women who serve as United States soldiers, standing against evil in this world and defending the freedoms that we'll enjoy this day. And then verse 5, we're told, Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Notice the fear of punishment shouldn't be the only reason we obey the authorities. We should also comply for respect of their position. See, I need to drive 30 in the school zone, not just to avoid a ticket, but because it's a law imposed by people who are trying to do what's right and protect our children. Even though my ticket says it happened on June 21st when school was out. But that's another issue. Another subject we'll take up later with the proper authorities. But here's Paul's point. Christians of all people should demonstrate a respect for authority. For how will the world recognize and respect God's law, an authority they can't see, if we Christians don't recognize and respect the authorities that can be seen? You know, when I coach Little League, I teach my guys, it's not whether you're actually safe or out. What matters is whether the umpire calls you safe or out. As long as the ump is honestly trying his best, we need to respect his position. It's a hard one. And we're not always going to agree with his call. And the same is true with politicians. We're not always going to agree with their calls. But we can respect their position. Some laws are just plain stupid. But out of respect, we still need to obey them. I still can't believe we had to go to Gwinnett County and purchase a building permit to build the baptismal pool behind the church. Or we had to park those few little nappy crepe myrtles out there to curb global warming. In both cases, I was tempted to take shortcuts, but we respected the laws of the land. God set up government to keep civilization civil, and Christians need to obey. Several years ago, I was driving to a country church out in Arkansas when I, where I was scheduled to speak that night. And as I topped the hill, a wild pig ran across the highway. The animal glanced off my front bumper. Damage to the rental car was minimal, but I could see that the pig was injured. When I told the pastor what had happened, he got his concerned look on his face, you know. He told me wild pigs were a protected species. And then I needed to report it to the State Wildlife Commission. I'd probably be fined $500. Well, I was tempted not to call. The last thing I wanted was a $500 fine. But I know my Bible. It's my duty to call. And so I blocked the number on my phone and so they couldn't identify the caller, and I reported the accident. Yet when I got back to Georgia, guess what was in the mail? I had a bill 
for $500 from the Arkansas Wildlife Commission. At first, I wondered, how in the world did they know it was me? And then it hit me. The pig must have squealed. <laughs> How'd you go? How'd you going? How'd you going? The pig must have squealed. Well, we've discussed government's fundamentals and function. Finally, let's talk about its funding. Our responsibility to the government is to obey and to pay. Verses 6 and 7. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. First notice the two words used in verse 7, taxes and customs. The Greek word taxes refers to an annual tax, similar to our income or our real estate tax. The word translated custom refers to a random tax, such as a tax on goods and services, like a sales tax. And Paul says, pay them both. Notice verse 6 drops a bombshell. Not only are our politicians and our police officers God's ministers, but IRS agents are also called God's ministers. Amazing. Reminds me of the fellow who walked into the IRS offices. He sat down. Just sat down. Never said a word. Just sat down. The receptionist finally walked over and asked him, said, Could, can I help you with anything? He said, no. I just wanted to see the people I've been working for all these years. <laughs> Government serves a vital function, ordering society and protecting the population. But for it to function, it has to be funded And thus God tells us to pay our taxes. Guys, there is no way around this. I have looked for a loophole. But the Bible teaches and the early church practiced the payment of taxes. I'm sure some of you might ask, but what if the government spends our tax money foolishly or immorally? Are we still supposed to pay the taxes? And the answer is an adamant yes. Do you think for a moment all the taxes paid to Nero were used to open Christian schools and old folks' homes? You're dreaming. A portion of Rome's tax base was spent on wild orgies and pagan idolatry, circuses and carnivals, and yet Paul paid them anyway. Here's how I view this. I sign the bottom of that 1040 form, seal that envelope, drop it in the mailbox, and from then on, my responsibility's over. God holds the politicians responsible for how that money gets spent. I have done my duty. My God-given responsibility is to pay my taxes. God holds the government responsible for how the money gets spent. It's interesting, but taxes in the Roman Empire were more exorbitant than those Americans pay today. And yet the early church paid every single dime required. Second century church leader Tertullian made this observation. He said, what the Romans lost by the Christians refusing to bestow gifts on their pagan temples, they gained by their conscientious payment of taxes. Government is ordained by God and funded by us. Let me just say it straight out. 
If you cheat on your income tax, you are sinning against God. Take a deduction, you're not allowed. Fudge on an expense report. Hide reportable income. And you're not just bending the rules, friend. You are sinning against God. I believe in taking every deduction allowable. Take every one of them. I don't want to pay the government one dime more than I'm required, but I need to pay them every dime I owe. The Internal Revenue Service may never audit you, but one day, I promise you, we'll all be audited by God. I've heard that the IRS actually has what they call a conscience fund where they deposit anonymous payments made by people who felt guilty for cheating on their income tax. One letter to the conscience fund read, Dear Sir, my conscience has been bothering me, so I've enclosed $175, which I owe in back taxes. At the bottom of the letter, there was a P.S., And if my conscience still bothers me, I'll send in the rest. (laughs) Hey, I've discovered that a guilty conscience makes for a terrible roommate. A little piece of the pie is just not worth my peace of mind. It's been said a clean conscience makes for a soft pillow. I think I'd rather sleep at night. And taxes are one more reason we all should vote. For to pay taxes and not vote is like buying groceries you don't eat or buying tickets to a game you don't attend. Taxes are the dues you pay so you can cast your ballot. Well, happy 4th of July. (laughs) What better day to examine our citizenship? As Christians, we are citizens of heaven, but we are also citizens on earth. Being a good Christian and being a good American go together. Our obligation extends to both God and country. So, vote. Obey the laws. Respect the cops. Pay your taxes, all of them. And pray for the American GI this morning that's still in Afghanistan. Or the Army Ranger on the bombing raid in Syria. That's where they're fighting right now. Or the marine sniper who's tracking pirates in Somalia. Pray for all our soldiers fighting terrorism abroad and keeping the peace at home. May God bless you and may God bless America.